0: this morning, amen. up church. by his name. He's not giving us the spirit of fear this morning, amen? time, just the church. your name this morning. Thank you for inhabiting the praises of your people. We open our ears now. We open our hearts. We open our minds. We open our eyes, oh God. Lord, come and speak to us in a powerful way. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Turn to one next to you and say, I'm going to sing a little louder, all right?
1: become because of your choices, circumstances, past, relationships, parents, or lack thereof. You. Your life story up to this very second. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's how you've become who you are. This, however, is who you created to be. Alive, complete, fully free. Who you are, deeply rooted in who God is, using your gifts talents, passion, and resources to be God's hands and feet in this world. This is the you you've caught a glimpse of in your best and worst times. This is the you that you've been created to be. The distance between these two yous sometimes feels impossible to travel. The process to bridge these two yous is called transformation. It's the way that God helps you go from who you've become to who he created you to be. It's sometimes painful, sometimes difficult, sometimes slow, sometimes welcomed, sometimes, sometimes not. But it is always loving. It is always what God wants for. It is always for everyone, including you. Our church exists to help us that gap. Yeah. Transpiration is something only God can do, but our church can help. To make what is undeniably spiritual
2: as practical as possible. From what we teach, to the things we do, to when we meet, to who we do life right with, we are committed to all that you love, to all that you become who God created you to be. That's transformation.
1: That's our church.
2: Yeah. Amen. Amen. I want to be all that He wants me to be. How about you? and church, is what we're, that's what we're about as a church. Is it all right with you, if we have a little pastoral chat moment, is that all right? Absolutely. If it's not okay with you, it's gonna happen anyway. <laughs> um, but as you can see, we're filling up, and uh, that's creating a tension for me to know what to do next, and Easter is coming. And uh, how many of you remember how we celebrated Easter last year? Yeah. We didn't, and <laughs> not here. And uh, so I, don't want, I, I want us to move forward carefully, but I want to do a little opinion poll, and I'm going to do it with heads bowed, eyes closed, so you can be honest. Not feel the pressure of your neighbor. <laughs> um, and one of the things that's triggered this is we want to make room for people on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. And uh, Carol and I eat uh, on Fridays. Um, We have, don't call me at Friday noon. That's time for my wife and I, and we just get away somewhere. And we were at a restaurant in Ankeny that has had social distancing on the dining floor, and they've completely eliminated that and said that most of the restaurants in Ankeny and their surrounding areas have eliminated that. Now, they still require masks, but there's no distanced seating. So we're kind of, we're trying to figure out what the best next step is. One would be that we would add another service, eight o'clock, 9.30 and 11. I will tell you that is not my favorite option. Um, uh, I work hard, I'm not afraid of work, Um, but they will carry me out on a stretcher. No, I'd be fine with that. I mean, some places they preach seven, eight times a day. So I have a question for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. No one looking around, okay? If we had an eight o'clock service, please be honest. If we had an eight o'clock service, you would be happy to move to the eight o'clock service. Let me see your hands. All All right, you can put your hands down. About the same number we had when we were Shut down, but that's okay. No, we had, no, there's more than that, more than that. The second question is this. We've talked about creating a hybrid seating in the church where certain, and I was thinking about this this morning, different than what we're talking about, the board meeting or staff, that we would have areas that there's no social distancing, that would be up to you and then areas that would be social distanced. So one example might be that the main floor would be all non-social distancing, the balcony would stay social distanced, and we might have overflow then staffed for those that want to social distance to try to get more people in the building. So here's my question. This is really important to know from you. I need to know if social distancing is a priority for you to be able to come to church. Does that make sense? Because you're all welcome to wear masks. I wouldn't think badly of anybody. Some do, many don't. You'd certainly be welcome to do that. And I'm gonna be just frank right now. Um, Listening to the government about what we ought to do is like a yo-yo do don't do don't do don't and that's just before lunch so if social distancing is a priority you'd say without social distancing I don't think I could come um, it's a priority to me heads bowed eyes closed just want to know how important that is um, if you had raise your hand it's a priority for me hold up your hand social distancing is a priority All right, thank you. You can put your hands down. All right, great, thank you. That's really, really helpful. It doesn't help me make a decision, but at least I know what the opinions are in the place. (laughs) All right, let's go to Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to give you time to turn there in your Bible and open your digital device, whatever is convenient for you. And Emma Thomas is going to be doing quoting for us this morning. So, Emma, if you'd come. And give us our scripture quotation from Hebrews chapter 8.
3: But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more.
2: Great job. Thank you, Emma. Great job. we're taking a little change of focus now when we come to chapter eight chapters one to seven have been about our better savior how many are glad that we have a better savior than the old testament principles or anything else this world has to offer because we have a better savior chapters eight nine and ten tell us that we have a better covenant out of a better savior uh, relationship comes a better covenant. And we're going to explore that this morning. Chapter 8 begins with this. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. I love it when Scripture tells me what I'm supposed to pay attention to. In business, it's said this way. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> well, everybody say that with me. Repeat after me. The main, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing. And how about I know on parenting that's important? Oh, yes. Sometimes we can over discipline on secondary issues and overlook the main thing. I'll give you this kind of help when you're reading the parables and the teachings of Jesus, he will tell you what the parable is about. When I read uh, what some people comment about the parables, I don't need to know how tightly wound the sheep's wool is. He told me in the parable of the 99 what the parable is about. So listen for what scripture tells you to pay attention to, and that's what you need to pay attention to. So chapter 8 refers back to chapter 7, saying here is the main thing saying, here is what you need to pay attention to. God's order, purpose, and integrity matter in ways beyond our knowing. So what we have established for us in chapter 7 and then bridging over into chapter 8 is why this Melchizedekian priesthood matters. Why is it so important? Couldn't God have just rewritten the rules? Well, he could, but if he rewrote the rules, that would mean that God is not consistent. It would mean that God is not faithful. That would mean that what God told you today could not be trusted tomorrow, and that we could all be dead by morning. So God is faithful. He cannot lie. He always is dependable. And the Melchizedekian priesthood, while theologically may not matter to you, eschatologically it matters to all of us. It should matter to all of us that there is a priesthood established for Christ that is a eternal, different than the human priesthood that they had experienced prior to that place. The Melchizedekian priesthood is not just Bible trivia, but is essential to our redemption. I'm going to say that again. The Melchizedekian priesthood is not simply an answer to Bible trivia, but is essential to our redemption. So let's explore that a little bit more this morning. I described to you a few weeks ago the difference in my mind between teaching and preaching, and it's not just the number of decibels, loudness of the voice, but on Wednesday... I teach on the book of Revelation, I want you to learn something on Sunday morning, we're in Hebrews, and I want you to experience something. But last Wednesday, someone was talking to me and said it felt a little preachy tonight, and it wasn't a negative thing, but when you're talking about the Church of Asia, how do you not preach? And I'll tell you the other side is you can't talk about Hebrews and Melchizedek without teaching. So I don't know what I'm doing today. But we're gonna explore the scriptures. We're gonna explore the scriptures together. Verses 1 to 5, we have such a high priest. What does that even mean? Now, the main point of what we're saying is this, we have such a high priest. Well, you've got to go back into chapter 7 and look at verse 26. When describing a new priesthood that was necessary because of the failures of the old priesthood, the writer of Hebrews says this, such a high priest truly meets our need. In other words, we need a high priest that can meet our needs. The Old Testament priests couldn't meet their needs. And I'm going to tell you this morning that our staff can't meet your needs. We can serve, but there's only one who can meet your needs. Hello? And his name is Jesus. That's our life source. They're saying we needed a priest who could meet our needs. We needed a priest who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. I don't need a high priest that struggles with the same things I'm struggling with. The worst thing you can do if you want freedom from alcohol addiction is meet with another person who also is struggling with alcohol addiction and tell each other how hard the struggle is because you'll end up back in the bar. What you need is someone who says, I know how to walk through that and have victory. And that's what support groups are about. People are struggling, encourage one another to stay on the, the right path. But I'm, I don't need a high priest who struggles with what I struggle with. I need a high priest who's pure, who's holy, who's separate from sinners to say to me, there's a better way for you to walk. There's a better way for you to live. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, we need this kind of a high priest, one that is um, set apart from sinners that meets our needs, and that is exalted above the heavens. Here's here's what I believe about leadership in ministry. I've never believed that I have to preach just what I have um, arrived at. I believe that we are fellow pilgrims, and I'm going to point to the mountaintop. Because I point to the mountaintop doesn't mean I've gotten there. Because my feet are clay, I'm going to stumble along the way, I'm going to make mistakes. So then I can talk to you about controlling your temper if I'm still trying to learn how to do that. Does that make sense? So if you need a pastor who makes no mistakes, go to a church with perfect people and they'll kick you out. Because there aren't any. But if I'm going to make it to heaven... Are you hearing me this morning? If I'm gonna make it to heaven, I need a high priest who's arrived. <laughs> Who has arrived. Unlike other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifice day by day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. The Old Testament, the Old Testament priest, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and put blood on the mercy seat, he was doing it for himself first and then for the sins of the people. We need a high priest that doesn't have to do that. He sacrificed the high priest for their sins, the the, the high priest we need once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints high priests, men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. So after building that case, here's what we need. This is what we need in a high priest. Chapter eight starts with a shout of praise. We have such a high priest. Is there anybody in the house this morning? We have such a high priest. In other words, what the Old Testament believers longed for, what they believed for, what they were trusting for, we now have as our possession. We have that kind of a high priest who is all of those things that we need to have happen. That's why there's only one mediator between God and man. It's not the pope, and it's not the pastor. It's the man Christ Jesus, one mediator. There is one name under heaven whereby we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. Is there anyone in the house this morning? We have such a high priest. We have such a high priest. Now, when we look at this high priest, he goes on to tell us in chapter 8 that he is sitting at the right hand of God, goes on to explain. We have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty and serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. So when you look at the Old Testament law and the tabernacle and principles, and I, I don't have time, and that's actually what the author of Hebrews says to us, to explore all of that, but there's so much richness and understanding there. But it falls short. It's less than the fulfillment. It points to a better and a greater day. He sat down and he serves, interceding for us, and we can celebrate and rejoice in that. Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament prophecies that were expressed toward him. We talk about those at his birth, we talk about those at his crucifixion, we talk about those at his second advent, and we sometimes overlook that this Melchizedekian priesthood was a part of that as well. I want to give you an idea this morning of how broad and how big and important the Old Testament fulfillment uh, finding uh, the, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies found in Jesus, how important that is. You ready? We're going to do a little bit of a run. Now, what I'm going to read to you is a chart that I have here. On one side is Old Testament Scripture. On the other side is New Testament fulfillment. I'm not going to read those. I'm just going to run down the middle on what the prophecies about Jesus were that have been fulfilled. Are you ready? I want you to, get the, I want you to grasp the breadth of this. Here's what we have. What do we know that's prophesied in the Old Testament? Testament fulfilled in the New Testament. Messiah would be born of a woman. Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Messiah would be born of a virgin. Messiah is from the lineage of Abraham. Messiah would be a descendant of Isaac. Messiah would be a descendant of Jacob. Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Messiah would be heir to the King David's throne. Messiah's throne will be anointed and eternal. Messiah would be called Emmanuel. Messiah would spend a season in Egypt. There would be a massacre of children at the Messiah's birthplace. A messenger would prepare the way for the Messiah. The Messiah would be rejected by his own people. Messiah would be a prophet. Messiah would be preceded by Elijah. He would be declared the son of God. He'd be called a Nazarene. He'd bring light to the Gentiles. He'd raise the dead, heal the blind, deaf, lame, and mute. He would speak in parables. He would bring liberty to the captives. He'd be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He'd be called king. He'd be praised by little children. He'd be betrayed. He would enter the appropriate time into Jerusalem. He would ride on the donkey, the cold of a donkey. Messiah's blood money would be used to buy a potter's field he'd be falsely accused, he'd be mocked and insulted he would be silent before his accusers he would be spit upon and struck he would be hated without cause, lots would be cast for his clothes, he'd be crucified with criminals, he'd be given vinegar to drink, none of his bones would be broken, he'd be buried in a rich man's grave, he'd be resurrected from the dead, his hands and feet would be pierced, he'd be struck down and the sheep scattered, he'd be forsaken by God, soldiers would pierce There'd be darkness over the land from 12 to 3. Messiah would ascend to heaven. He'd be seated at the right hand of God and it'd be a sacrifice for sin. That's our Messiah. And he fulfilled every one of those. This is not a story that we've tried to manipulate and shape to defend the Christian faith. It's an Old Testament prophecy about the redemption of God's creation fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and in the middle of that, that links his birth, his death and his second coming together is that he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's what links it all together as a new priesthood with better promises and a better covenant for God's people what a wonderful savior we serve we have such a savior now jump to verse 5 and I want to take a minute to talk about how important this is talking about the priests and appointed to give both gifts and sacrifices if we're on earth he would not be a priest There are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by law but then at verse 5 See, this is why Moses was warned, not instructed. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. That wasn't an instruction, that was a warning. With warning comes consequence. How important is God's picture on earth to be untouched by man? Well, do you know that Moses didn't get to go into the promised land? He led the people to the doorway, went to a mountain, got to look in, but was not allowed to enter. Why? Because he's leading a bunch of grumbling, griping, complaining people in the wilderness and they needed water. And Moses was instructed to strike the rock a single time. And when he smote it once and water came forth, it tells us that he smote it a second time. And Moses would have understood, do everything according to pattern. Don't vary from it at all. Why? Because smiting the rock represented the smitten Savior. And when he was smitten, living water would flow out of his brokenness that would refresh and renew the whole land. But when he smote it, the second time it in typology said he would be broken twice he would die on the cross twice he would suffer twice and god said that is a violation that you don't have the right to make and it will keep you out of the promised land because the principles that have established in the old testament will be the guidelines for a church that i will raise up and they'll set principles that need to be followed that's how seriously god takes his pictures I wish I had time this morning to talk to you about the wonders of the tabernacle and all that's taught there. If you want to understand the makeup of man, body, soul, and spirit, you'll see an incredible parallel between the Old Testament representing the body, the holy place, intellect, emotions, and will representing the mind, and the Holy of Holies where God's Spirit dwells that represents uh, your spirit and the presence of God. You can read in Psalm 100 that we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving his courts with praise. What do we do when we worship? Listen to me. The Bible tells me that we enter his presence with singing. How many are hearing me? It's a picture he wanted you to get. You're going to come in the gate with thanksgiving. You can't come into the gate where the people of God gather without having a thankful heart. And once you get into the gate, you're in the courtroom. Begin to praise him. Imagine what would happen if we checked at the door. Rather than your... (laughs) Rather than your temperature, do you have a testimony of thanksgiving? Because if you don't, you can't come in. And then out here, there's going to have to be utterances of praise. This is what God has done for me. And then when we enter in here and begin to sing, we're coming before the presence of God. That's Old Testament directives that lead into New Testament power. These models matter for us. They matter for us. Melchizedekian priesthood matters for that reason. We have such a high priest. There is so much to be learned from the tabernacle. Tells us in this section that every high priest needed to have something to offer. There were sacrifices prescribed by the law that they had to bring. And if there had been an earthly priest, if Jesus were an earthly priest, he would not have been needed because they were already in place. And verse 3 tells us he had to have something to offer. Well, what was that? Chapter 7 tells us what that was. It wasn't a paschal lamb. It wasn't a red heifer. It was the blood of the Son of God who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And in that act caused the sacrifices to cease. The worship in the tabernacle is no longer needed because he once and for all Paul satisfied all of the sacrifices, all of the precepts and principles of the Old Testament when he hung on the cross, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he said, it is. We're going to celebrate this in a few weeks. It is finished. What was The Old Testament sacrifices, the Old Testament worship, the Old Testament priesthood, anything else that needed to be done to prepare the way for you to go to heaven had been finished. Nothing can be added to it because it wasn't the blood of a bull. Is anyone hearing me? It wasn't the blood of a goat. It wasn't the blood of a lamb slain. It was the blood of the precious son of God as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The precious blood of Jesus was once and for all. People will ask me, well, I don't know if he can forgive me. Your sin cannot be bigger than his grace. Your sin's not bigger than his provision. He shed his blood once and for all for you to have newness of life. Come on, somebody help me this morning. I'm gonna blow a gasket here in a little bit. It's the Melchizedekian priest that fulfills it all. He offered himself not only do we have such a savior that was asked for and longed for in the Old Testament. <laughs> we have a superior savior. He's not, hey, he's not just such a savior. Amen. He's a superior savior. Look at verse six. But in fact, the ministry of Jesus, the ministry Jesus has received, is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one and the new covenant is established on better promises that's a transition statement that leads us into the next subject his Ministry is superior. How? No flaw, no lack, no weakness. Do I need to remind you that he did things as a traveling rabbi, as a fulfillment of the priesthood that no other priest had done? Do you know what the priests could do? They could acknowledge that a leper had been cleansed, but you know what Jesus could do? He could cleanse the leper that was still diseased. They could acknowledge that eyes had been opened and questioned that, but what Jesus could do would be open the eyes of the blind. They could talk about a man being deaf and Jesus could open his ears a woman with an issue of blood could come in and they could pronounce her unclean but Jesus could heal her and pronounce her clean we have a superior Savior a superior priest who can do what the earthly high priest could never ever accomplish or do no flaw no lack no weakness (laughs) I, 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 I'm not saying this for you to feel sorry. Don't feel sorry for me. I don't, I don't, I don't even want it. <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. But this is the weirdest time that I've ever lived in. For the first time in my life, snow comes on Sunday, and I'm thankful I don't have to worry about social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird time to live in. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? I sit in my office and I just think, God, I have no idea. Yeah. But you know, he will never say, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> this is a mess, pal. What are we going to do about this one? <laughs> Not at all. Because there isn't, <laughs> there isn't anything he doesn't know. There isn't any place he isn't already There isn't anything that he cannot do. He is omniscient, omnipotent. He is all-powerful in every place, all-knowing. He's everything we need him to be. There is no lack in our high priest. His ministry, can you see that, was superior to theirs. They were limited to a place, but he right now is walking by a believer who's facing death in Iraq. He right now... Is walking through the uh, the underground church in Arab nations. He right now is here this morning. He right now is in the intensive care unit with someone about to die. He's right there with someone looking at their bills and they don't know how they're gonna pay them. He is everywhere all the time at once to meet every need that we have. The priest couldn't do that, but he could. He's not only such a savior, he's a superior high priest. He's a superior high priest. Mediator of a better covenant then. We'll find out why later in the chapter. (laughs) But listen, if the high priest is better, then the covenant has to be better. The covenant has to be better because it has better promises. All the priests on earth could do would be to promise to do their best to fulfill the structure of worship. But this high priest says, I've got a better promise for you. I've got a better promise for you. When the disciples said, Lord, where are you going and how can we know the way? He said, oh, I am the way, the truth and the life. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be with me and I give you my peace, all of the things that the priest longed for but couldn't do. He offers better promises, better promises for us, which then says to us, that this better covenant is built on better promises. So, in this transition, we have such a high priest, we have a superior high priest, yes. which means, please don't get upset, but Christianity is superior to Judaism. Christianity is superior to Islam. Christianity is superior to Buddhism. Christianity is superior to stupidism. That we call politics sometimes. I'm just saying to you, we have a superior covenant. Are you ready for this? Verses 7 to 13. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found a fault with the people and declares what follows. If the Old Testament law worked, the new covenant would not have been needed. Under the old covenant, God took them by the hand. He led them. He walked with them. And it says in verse 9, It will not be like the covenant I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. And so what does that mean? It means when he led them out of Egypt, look at what God says. I didn't just point the way. I wasn't just the pillar of fire by day and the pillar of cloud by night. I wasn't just the voice on Mount Sinai declaring my law. He says, when I took them out of Egypt, I took them by the hand. He took them by the hand and still they turned away. Why? Why? because there was fault in them. There was a sin nature in them. And if it demonstrates anything to us in this world, it ought to to demonstrate that your self-will isn't enough to gain victory. We're just wired wrong and Adam, Adam blew it for all of us. But Jesus provided the solution for all of us. I've told this story before because I just think it's so funny and so apt. But how many remember the story about the two ladies that um, said they would never go to the donut shop that day? They were on a keto diet or something. I don't know. They weren't going to go to the donut shop. And so they prayed that if God didn't want them to have a donut, there wouldn't be a parking place someone asked him did you get a donut said yeah there was a parking place right in front we knew that was a sign from God we had to drive around the block seven times that's our human nature you can will it you can but every one of you have a breaking point don't look at someone else's scans. And I look at some of the men and women of God who have failed and I'm saying to you, don't look at them so holy. Because you have a breaking point too. You have somewhere where you in the flesh have failed. Somewhere that you can't overcome. Somewhere where you let down And something happens that shouldn't happen. I'm saying to you, if the Old Testament saints walked with their hand in the hand of God and it wasn't enough to make it, something else needed to happen. Carol and I were in a place of business, a retail place of business. And there was a little kid in a shopping cart, screaming his little lungs out because he wasn't getting what he wanted. Well, I hate to confess this to you, but I'm not a millennial. I'm a boomer. Well, and he needed something boomed. Just telling you. I'm sorry, I can't hear you when you're yelling like that. (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. Oh, you're going to get a, you're going to sing a little louder in a minute, child. (laughs) How many are hearing me now? What does that demonstrate? We're all broken. Mom didn't know what to deal with him. The kid was using his rebellion to try to get what he wanted, and it wasn't working. And this is what I know. There are a lot of things I don't, I don't know anything about that household. But I'll tell you what I know in that moment. Mom and two or three kids. Two kids. Three kids. There were three kids. Here's what I know. Mom and three kids, ain't none of them happy right now. Ain't none of them happy. Why? Because there's fault. You say, if Jesus, hear me right now. If Jesus would take my hand, and we sing that, Jesus, take my hand, and I'm all for that. But he said in Hebrews, I can take your hand, and it won't fix what's broken in you. It won't fix what's broken in you. You're like a wild child, and I can hang on, but you're going to break your arms swinging yourself around the room. Hello? There's something broken in you. And it demonstrated that humans are flawed, that we can't do it in our own strength, that we can't make it on our own. God demonstrated that human nature is faulty, that the failure was not with God, it was with mankind. Why is that important? Because you will never come to him until you're convinced of your need. Until you're convinced of your need. Look at verse 10. This, this is shouting ground, people. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord. I, I quote this all the time. I reference it all the time. This isn't the first Sunday you've heard this. Because this, in my estimation, is the articulation of the heart, substance, and power of the gospel message. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. (laughs) This whole world has fallen. This whole world groans and travails. Now, you can call me old if you want to, and I don't care. I'm just wiser than I used to be in certain limited fields of my experience. But we like to watch, my wife and I like to, when the morning allows, to have coffee and watch the birds. We have a bird feeder. Anybody else have a bird feeder? I think you have to be over 50 to have a bird feeder. I'm not really sure about that. (laughs) And there is a demon-possessed squirrel (laughs) that lives in our yard. I had no idea that a squirrel's teeth are so sharp that they can chew through wire. There are holes in that bird feeder from that stupid squirrel. It has a fallen nature. And all of the training that my wife has tried to do with that squirrel, yelling at it. I yelled at the squirrel the other day, and she said, that's not enough. You have to explain to the squirrel that that's not his food. (laughs) No, if we're in the country, I'd settle this with a 22. Anyway... I'm a boomer, not a millennial. I'm just saying. <laughs> that stupid squirrel doesn't matter what happens. Because all of creation groans and travails awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. And there isn't anything that I can do to keep that squirrel away. Why? Because he or she, I don't know, I'm not that well acquainted. <laughs> wants a stimulus and the threat of retribution is not as great as the desire to be satisfied. That's called human nature as well. It testifies to us. And so I can do all the things. I can try to protect it and put those squirrel-proofing things. All you're doing with the squirrel-proofing devices is you're just making them smarter. That's all you're doing. (laughs) They'll figure it out. Because something would have to change in that squirrel's heart. We're all just squirrels. You can, you can put a dog in a kennel. You can put him on a leash. You can do whatever you want. Just look at that animal kingdom. Something has to change in the heart. An external prison, an external fence, an external cage won't change you. Amen. And that's what the law did. It said, here are the boundaries. Don't cross them. And you know what I do? We have to see if he means it. This wasn't very nice, and I didn't do it, but a youth pastor that I had once wanted to demonstrate that to the youth group. So we had a post in the foyer, and on that post, he put a sign that said, do not touch. Then he put a camera behind a door where the blinds opened just a little bit, locked onto that post. Do you know what our godly, God-fearing parents did? Over and over, it was hilarious. wonder why our kids misbehave. Because they're related to us. That external code won't change you. You know exactly. How many know exactly what you're, what I'm talking about? There's just it. Like, why can't I? Why can't I? We have a, we have an iPad in our office that Pastor Nathan has put out there that runs the screens in the lobby and said, "Please do not touch." I think everybody but me has touched that. <laughs> no, I've touched it too. So I'm. He's saying, I'm going to change that. Are you feeling what I'm feeling right now? I'm going to change that. I'm going to take away that fence. That's what it means to not be under law. I'm going to take away the fence. But then I'm going to write my law on your heart. You know what happens when he does that? After a while... You begin to love the things he loves. You begin to hate the things he hates. And now you're changing from the inside out. That's the new covenant. It changes you from the inside out. This covenant, he says, is with the people of Israel. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, a man is a Jew if he's one inwardly and circumcision, circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. The mind speaks of your understanding. The heart speaks of your emotions. And he's calling us to an intimate relationship with him where he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. The old covenant is obsolete. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say one to another, know the Lord. What does he mean by that? It's, it's really, let me, let me kind of paraphrase that. There's coming a time when you won't have to say to someone, do you really think that's what the Lord wants you to do? Do you really think that's how he wants you to act? Do you really think those are the choices he wants you to make? There's coming a time when that won't have to be said because it'll already be witnessed on the inside. What do we call that? We call that salvation. What do we call that? We call that transformation. We call that not being what circumstances made you, but has transformed you into what he wants you to be. Forgiveness and failures are forgotten. The obsolete would pass away because it was not eternal. The old covenant would be gone. By calling the covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Why doesn't he say it's already gone? Because people will cling to the old. It's still there even though it doesn't do anything. When I was growing up, we grew up on an anchorage. We had an old station wagon that wouldn't run. The transmission was shot, but it had gas in it. And dad would let us go out there and start it and pretend like we're driving. And we would drive for hours out there until it finally ran out of gas and he towed it away. And then that's my knee story. But he uh, towed it off. But the whole time we were sitting there, that car was obsolete. We're just revving the engine. That's what happens all around us. People are revving an engine in something that has ceased to have value. It won't move you forward. Because the gospel, hear me, is not about what you know. It's about who you know. It's not about living by some code of discipline. It's about having your heart changed from the inside out. And so I'm going to close with this as Pastor Nathan comes. We all ought to be engaged in evangelism. We all ought to be having faith conversations with people that don't know Jesus. I look for those all the time. Is there someone that I can talk to today about Jesus? And I've taken evangelism explosion. I've done door to door. I know the four spiritual laws. I know the ABCs. And I can argue you into a a corner that you have to admit that you're going to hell but I've never seen it change anyone because I'm not trying to get them to join a doctrinal position. What is evangelism? It's introducing them to someone. I believe that's real. I want people to meet this new high priest a better high priest who's providing for us a better covenant. And you know what happens in evangelical churches? We go through the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob syndrome. We have Abraham who's met with God, and the second generation, Isaac, only has Abraham's faith. It's never been made personal. And the Jacob generation turns away in their rebellion. So what are you saying? I'm saying to you this morning... <laughs> We have such a high priest. We have a superior high priest. And it's not an Old Testament code of law, even if you quote it from the New Testament. It's not a code. It's a relationship. Do you really know the Lord? Do you really know the Lord? What I'm beginning to experience in the midst of this COVID or learning to recognize is that there is a rising tide of people who want to know the Lord. They want him riding on their hearts. They want to walk in that reality. And this ought to be the place where they find him. But we have to be walking in that. It's so easy to degenerate into a list of behaviors Rather than cultivate the reality of a relationship. So, with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, please. Do you really know him? I mean, more than being religious, more than being a of God, more than being a church person, if you have not met him, this is your day to do that. Everyone else may think that you're just a great Christ follower, but you know that it's an external code of conduct that's never become an internal reality in your life. That's the call of Hebrews chapter 8. To know the Lord. To know the Lord. With no one looking around, if you're in that place that you need to begin a personal, real, living relationship with Jesus, whether you're online this morning with us in the North Chapel or here in the main auditorium, would you slip up your hand? I need Jesus in my life. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to wait a moment. In the balcony on the main floor, there are two. Anyone else? I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. I want everyone to pray this prayer with me out loud. Those of you that raise your hand, pray this prayer and mean it. And you're going to begin a walk of things changing on the inside. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. And I'm tired, I'm tired. of trying to, I'm trying to succeed in my own strength. I can't do it by self-effort. I, by self-effort. I need a new relationship with you. Relationship. I'm you. I'm asking you to forgive me to write your law on my heart. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you and walk with you in newness of life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead for my justification. And I will follow you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Can we take time to just praise him? Give the Lord a clap offering this morning as you do that. And let's magnify him. Let's praise him. Let's give Jesus praise.
0: A thousand times i fail, Still your mercy remains And should I stumble up I'm caught in your grace everlasting your light will shine when all else fades. never ending your glory goes beyond all fame in my heart and my soul I give you control come to me Wrong.
2: let this be a place where we together can say with confidence and truth that we know you. (laughs) Help a journey, a desire, a hunger be birthed in us today to know you better, to know you more, to have more of you written on our hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said, Amen, Amen, Amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great Savior great high priest. You can be seated just for a moment and I don't want to miss an opportunity to say thank you that we love you for all of your support and together God's doing great things here. So excited about that. We're going to dismiss from my right to my left and please honor that. When one section clears, the next section can go. So we can dismiss in orderly fashion, pick up your kids quickly and let's not linger around in the open spaces, All right, And let's let this world know that we have a superior high priest, amen. God bless you.